Bismillah bismillah walhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man walah amma ba'd assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah fantastic So we finished off last week with the ayah in which Allah Ta'ala says amma man ba'd a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim as for he who thinks of himself to have no need so this is talking to the disbeliever the Prophet the scene is that the Prophet is speaking to this disbeliever and this disbeliever is acting like he doesn't need anything he doesn't need guidance he doesn't need any, anything and yet Allah Ta'ala then says what? فأنت تصدى فأنت, and so uh, you are giving him it's translated here as attention there's a different this, this word تصدى is a little bit difficult why? because there's two opinions as to where its root comes from the, origin, the original verb could be tasaddada, which means, which has been shortened to tasadda, which sadadun uh, means respect or regard, and saddada means to applaud, yani sathaka. So it could be that you're showing him so much respect, you are giving him some sort of, you could say, reverence. That's one perspective. The other perspective is that tasadda means that you are relentlessly going back to something, like an echo. And that's because sada means an echo. It also means extreme thirst. And so the implication is that you're listening to, him so int- to, you're listening to this person so intently, and you're like reflecting and thinking about what he's saying. You're reflecting on each sentence. It's like it's echoing in your mind. You're giving him all this attention. Or another way of looking at it is that you're giving him so much importance because the Sahabi, uh, Abdullah ibn Maktoum, he came and distracted you, and you were distracted from the conversation, but then you bounced back really quickly, like an echo bounces back very quickly. You were so eager to speak to this disbeliever. So these are the different opinions. Uh, um, and also the, uh, uh, the word was actually tatasadda, and then Allah Ta'ala shortened it to tasadda. This happens a lot of the times with the fifth pattern of tafa'ala. Sometimes it gets shortened down from tatasadda to tasadda. That's, that's the, you know, this type of thing happens often in the Qur'an, which proves that Allah Ta'ala loves His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi saying what? I hate to see you desperately pitching to somebody who is an uninterested customer. I don't like to see you trying so eagerly to sell something to this person who is acting like he doesn't need it. You should have the upper hand. The disbeliever is not worthy of such honor, and even this blind believer is worthy of more uh, attention than this arrogant polytheist, despite the fact that he is indeed a leader. So yes, the believers should show this type of humility only to other believers, as Allah Ta'ala mentions in Surah Ma'idah, ayah number 54. So yes, the, also another in- interesting point is that the expected sentence is what? فَتَصَدَّ لَهُ فَتَصَدَّ لَهُ would be the expected sentence. But Allah Ta'ala says, فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّ So there's two factors here. The anta is extra. So it is you, like you of all people are honoring him, lahu, to him, to this disbeliever. So in English, you know, when you're speaking, uh, or in any language, when you're just speaking it, it's easy to put emphasis. Instead of saying, so you are the one giving him honor. It's like, and you are the one honoring him? The em- emphasis is what? That he should be honoring you. When you emphasize you, you're the one, فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّ And لَهُ to him, to this guy, as opposed to Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, this is the one you're showing honor to. So you can hear that the emphasis is there because of the anta and the, the lahu, both of them because it's muqaddama, it has been advanced. So anyway, this is a little bit detailed about the Arabic language, but the point here is what? That this is a very emphatic statement. This brings up a big question. When you're respecting somebody, of course we should show respect to other people, but the question of standing up. Uh, let's, let's get some opinions here. When somebody walks in the room, uh, is it respectful or not a good idea? Is it a good idea or a bad idea to stand up for that person? Who, wants to, who, who says yes? Yes? You think you should stand up for that person? Yes? Okay, okay. So this is an interesting uh, uh, perspective, or, or, or I see where you're coming from. Um, 
Yes, you should stand for your elders and people of knowledge uh, out of respect uh, and to show uh, you know, humility to that person. However, you should not expect others to do it to you. You should not walk into a room standing there like, why isn't everybody giving me my standing ovation? This is something that is, uh, uh, shows a lot of kibbeh. Um, and you should encourage people to sit down if they do indeed stand for you. Show some respect and say, what? Go ahead, sit down, take a seat, it's okay, relax. Don't tell me, yes, stand up, I love it. What is this based on? This is based on a number of hadith. When you put them all together, it paints a certain picture. So the first one is uh, the statement uh, from the Prophet Actually, this is a hadith from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, in which he was describing when uh, Banu Quraidha, they had betrayed the believers, and the Prophet was going to lay down a verdict as to what to do to these people. And then they said, okay, we will agree to the verdict of uh, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. Because he was known as a very respected person and he was a chief from amongst the chiefs of the Ansar. So he was, he was somebody who was highly respected amongst the Ansar. So they called for Sa'ad and when he finally came, he was riding on a donkey. He uh, showed up to this, to this area. And then the Prophet said to the Ansar, Qumu ila Sayyidikum, stand up for your chief. Or he said, Qumu ila Khayrikum, stand up for the best amongst you. So they all stood up out of respect. So clearly you're seeing that the Prophet is saying what? Yes, you should stand up for somebody who is honored amongst you, especially in a scenario where he's going to be giving a verdict to a whole different tribe, disbelievers, Banu Quraiza. And you know, if, why should they respect him if you, his own people don't respect him? So you know, stand up, show some respect. So that's one hadith. Another narration is what? Anas ibn Malik who he said what? Lam yakun shakhsun ahabba ilayhim min Rasulullah There was no, no person more beloved to the Sahaba than the Messenger of Allah sallallahu However, وَكَانُوا إِذَا رَأَوْهُ لَمْ يَقُومُوا لِمَا يَعْلَمُونَ مِنْ كَرَاهِيَتِهِ لِذَلِكَ Yet, they wouldn't stand up when they saw him. When the Prophet would walk into the room, they wouldn't get up to greet him. Why? Because they knew he disliked it. So on the one hand, the Prophet is saying, look, honor, you know, people who deserve honor and respect. At the same time, though he would never like to be honored himself, he'd always tell people to sit back down and they would not get up for him because they knew that he would dislike it. And furthermore, the Prophet says, what? مَنْ سَرَّهُ أَنْ يَتَمَثَّلَ لَهُ الرِّجَالِ قِيَامًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Whoever loves to be received by men standing for them, uh, uh, then let him take his place in the fire. So anybody who loves this idea of, oh, I love when I walk in, everybody stands up for me, then let you take your place in the fire. Basically, this is a, uh, uh, an attitude of kibbeh. Now, also, there's another very important point being brought up here. The danger of honoring wicked people. The danger of honoring wicked people. So, on the one hand, the Prophet is trying to get da'wah, right? The Prophet is honoring and, and speaking to these disbelievers of Quraysh and showing them honor. Why? Because he wants to convert them so that they could bring even more people to Islam. It makes a lot of sense. But there's also a flip side to that coin, which is what? Be careful of showing too much honor to people uh, then, then people think, oh, I should honor them too, right? And the, the, in fact, there's a hadith about this. The Prophet says what? لا تقولوا للمنافق سيد فإنه, فإنه إن يكن سيدا فقد أسخطتم ربكم عز وجل Don't call a hypocrite your sayyid or your chief or your master or your leader. For if he is a leader, you will displease your Lord the Most High. So what is this hadith describing? This is a hadith in Abu Dawood, this is a sahih hadith. The meaning here is what? That if a Muslim, if there's a Muslim who is blatantly evil, like you know sometimes there are certain uh, leaders of, in the Muslim world that they're, oh I'm, I'm the leader of a Muslim country, but they're extremely hostile towards Islam. They ban certain things about our, our deen. They literally make certain things haram. Like there are some Muslim countries where the women can't wear hijab. This, this, is, this is a well-known fact. In there are certain Muslim countries where no, our women aren't gonna cover themselves. A'udhu Billah, how are you for Islam calling yourself a Muslim when you're openly, blatantly hostile towards Islam? May Allah protect us. So anyway, the point is that 
if a Muslim is blatantly hostile and disrespectful towards Islam, don't elevate him in the eyes of people, calling him Sayyid and Chief and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ra'is, Mawlana, I don't know, whatever else, giving him all sorts of great titles. Why? Because then the masses may indeed put that person in a place of leadership, and then hypocrites will occupy positions of leadership, which is ultimately going to anger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something detrimental to society. And Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad, rahimahullah, has a nice quote where he says, Man Whoever shows reverence or gives honor to a person of bid'ah has aided, has aided in the destruction of Islam. In other words, when you show honor to somebody who is, let's say, a, a known Muslim, but they have completely deviant views, well then people will look that to that and say, oh, well, I should honor that person too. And now you are sending people over there saying, hey, I have a question, I have a fatwa, where should I study, what book should I read? SubhanAllah, you're pushing that person down that road. So be very cautious to promote people who are teaching uh, bid'ah. May Allah protect us as well. Imam al says what? Imam al-Shafi, rahimahullah, says, مَا أَكْرَمْتُ أَحَدًا فَوْقَ مِقْدَارِهِ إِلَّا أَتَّضِعُ مِنْ قَدْرِ عِنْدَهُ بِمِقْدَارِ مَا زِدْتُ فِي إِكْرَامِهِ This is a really beautiful quote. I love this quote, subhanAllah. It's very, very true. I'm sure all of us have seen instances of this. Imam al-Shafi, rahimahullah, says, I've never honored somebody more than they deserve, except that I reduced my value to that person by the same amount that I overestimated their honor. <laughs> so, I know it's a bit of a complex sentence, but basically, if a person deserves a certain amount of honor, right? Let's say they're not very, a very honorable person. Let's say they don't only deserve a little amount. But you go overboard and show them that person an extra amount of honor. Whatever extra amount you gave them, expect to be disrespected that same amount. <laughs> expect that that person's going to put you down by that same, I don't know, let's say give them 10 extra points, 100 extra points, whatever the case is, too much honor. Expect that same amount to come back at you in the negative. They're going to put you down. Why? Because a person who doesn't deserve honor, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to handle it. And they're not used to it. And so what do they do? Oh, you're putting me up? Oh, good. That means you're underneath me. Let me abuse and let me mistreat you and let me talk down to you. And I've seen this many times, unfortunately, where you'll, I'll see people who put somebody on a pedestal only to be disrespected by that same person, by that same amount. They put them down. So be very cautious of putting people up too much. Uh, SubhanAllah, some people just straight up don't deserve it. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ahsan Islahi, uh, rahimahullah, gives a great uh, comment on this ayah. Where he says, first and foremost, the, this mistake of the Prophet should never be thought of as something coming from his desires. It's not like the Prophet was doing this because he had some sort of a weakness in his desires. A'udhu Billah, we don't think like that. This was only because of his overzealousness in discharging his obligation of giving da'wah. We know this, that the Prophet was just very eager to give da'wah and to convert people. And so because of this overzealousness, fi it went a little bit too far. And he gives a very nice analogy. He says, this is similar to, for example, when Musa was called by the Almighty to Mount Tur. He even fixed a specific date for it. However, Musa in his fervor could not wait for the specific, specified time and reached it earlier. Uh, when he was called to explain his behavior, he replied that he had come early because of his zeal to please the Almighty. So it's a very, very beautiful concept that you find this parallel with uh, Musa salam. He showed up early, earlier than the appointed time. And it's like, is that a bad thing? Well, I guess you could say you missed your mark. So I guess in a way it's a bad thing. But he was just overzealous to finally be in the presence of his Lord and to be in that sort of, you could say, divine presence. And subhanAllah, how can you therefore criticize? So subhanAllah, overzealousness for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah says, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ أَلَّا يَزَّكَّى And it is not up to you. Oh, excuse me. It is not upon you. It's not, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ It is absolutely not on you. Like it's not your responsibility. أَلَّا يَزَّكَّى If he is not to be purified. So this again, yazakka is the shortened form of yatazakka, meaning what? Meaning to self-purify. In other words, if he doesn't self-purify, it's not your responsibility. It's not on you. You have no blame, O Messenger of Allah. The implication is what? That he doesn't he wants to remain filthy. 
He wants to remain filthy. He doesn't want to purify himself. This guy wants to remain in his arrogance. He wants to remain in his shirk. And this is like being covered in something disgusting. Imagine a person, they're rolling around in the filth. You see them, and the Prophet who has so much compassion for people that he says, I want to wash you up. And this person's getting washed up, and they just dive right back into the filth. And then eventually it's like, look, that's not on you. It's not your job. It's not your job. If that person wants to get sick, if that person wants to get diseases and die, that's upon them. You can't clean everybody up and keep them. This was the compassion of the Prophet Allah Ta'ala commanded him to want good for people and to therefore spread the truth to them. And yet he wanted good for people even more than Allah Ta'ala commanded him to. Allah said, you have to want good for people. He wanted good for them even more than, they, than, than what Allah commanded him. And he wanted good for people even more than they wanted for themselves. Can you imagine this? SubhanAllah, that's how compassionate the Prophet was, which is why Allah has to say, It's not on your, it's not your job. Your job is to convey, but you're conveying. You've, you've done your job. You're going beyond that. You want to actually make sure that they become purified. You do not have to do that. Do we have this sunnah? Do we have the sunnah of wanting hidayah and guidance for others to such an extent, subhanAllah? This ma here could be ma nafia, making the sentence, and it, there's no blame on you if he doesn't purify himself, but it could also be uh, ma istifhamiyah, which is a question. In other words, what does it matter to you if he does not become pure? It's, it's, not, your, it's not your problem. You don't have to answer for him. You don't have to defend him on judgment day. You aren't in charge of this person's affairs. So why are you doing this? So it could be both a negation or a question, and Allah knows best. This is similar to the ayah in which Allah says, Perhaps you would kill yourself with grief that they will not become believers. The Prophet was so grieved by this, we all know that depression and anxiety can have a negative effect on you. Imagine it having such a negative effect that's actually a detriment to your own health. It's actually killing you inside. And this happens. People get so stressed out that it, literally they start to have problems in their you know, internal organs and so on and so forth. So this is killing you, how much stress you have because of the, uh, their lack of guidance. And so subhanAllah, again, you have to ask yourself, where are we with regards to this attitude where we want so badly for others to be guided? But at the same time, we know that the previous surah said, anta You're only a warner for those who fear Allah. Anyway, going on. Then Allah Ta'ala says, But as for he who came to you striving, as for the one, and now notice, earlier, we were, Allah was speaking to the Prophet in the third person. He turned, as in you, Muhammad, you turned away. But Allah, Allah didn't say, you turned away. He said, he turned away. Why? Third person is a little less direct. It's a little softer as a reprimand. But now that the reprimand is being accepted and the, and, and the Prophet is receiving it well, now it switches to the, per, to the second person. The one who came to you, not came to him, no, and as for the one who came to you striving, O Muhammad uh, meaning what? This is a very, very important lesson about the switch from, second, uh, from third person to second person. The lesson is, if you want someone to accept your critique, don't start in a harsh way. Begin with abstract concepts, and then if they're receptive to that idea, then transition to personal. So for example, you know, let's say a person is insulting others in a harsh way. And you're like, what would you say about somebody who hurt people's feelings through his jokes? Oh, well, that's not such a good idea. Oh, really? So you're receptive to the idea? Well, I got to tell you, the other day you said something, and I think you might have hurt that guy's feelings. You guys see my point? So the first is you start with the abstract. Third person, what would you say about a person, theoretically, hypothetically, who did this? Oh, you accept this idea? Okay, well, you kind of did it, right? So subhanAllah, switching from third person to second person is a beautiful style of how to convey a critique. And subhanAllah, it's being displayed here by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's really quite amazing. How is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum being described as Ja'aka Yas'a, the one who was rushing? In the, and we, we, we know that um, 
when a Sahabi is moving quickly, who cannot see, who's blind, rushing is clearly quite dangerous. And yet this just goes to show his love and uh, enthusiasm to learn about Islam, which was recorded in the Quran. So just imagine every time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala records from you, when you rush to these halaqat, when you rush to Jum'ah, when you rush to pray your salah in the masjid, this fervor, this passion, subhanAllah, it could be, uh, you know, that it's being recorded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well, and you have a high status. Yes. And this is similar to Allah says, Oh, you who have believed when the call to prayer on the day of Jum'ah has, has, has called, then then rush or proceed to the remembrance of your Lord. Go quickly. And uh, to rush isn't about the physical, physical movements necessarily, even though that's included. It's about the whole attitude. It's about being, fervor, uh, having ferv- uh, being fervent and eager and passionate, enthusiastic, driven towards learning this deen. Yes. Now, this is, uh, there's interesting hadith about the sincerity, about the sincerity of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, anhu. We, we see that uh, one example is what? أَنَّهُ سَأَلَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ قَالَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِنِّي رَجُلٌ ضَرِيرٌ الْبَصَرٌ شَاسِعُ الْدَارِ that he once asked the Prophet, O Messenger of Allah, I am a blind man and my house is far away from the masjid. I have a guide that doesn't follow me. Is it possible to be granted permission for me to say my prayers in my own house? And then the Prophet asked him, he said, uh, oh, sorry, then the Prophet said, What? He said, Do you hear the call to prayer? Do you hear the adhan? He said, yes. He said, Sorry, I don't see for you any sort of allowance. I don't see for you a permission. SubhanAllah. So the fact that he could hear the adhan means what? He should get up and go. So SubhanAllah, for anybody who lives close to the masjid, when you live close to the masjid, you should feel a sense of responsibility. If the blind man has to come, then we should feel a responsibility as well. Anas ibn Malik, he says what? Anna Nabi That the Prophet used to appoint Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum to be the imam in salah. Why? Because sometimes the Prophet and the believers, those who were able-bodied fighters, would get up and go to war on a, some sort of a mission. Now, who's going to stay behind? The women, the children, the elderly, and those who can't fight, those who are disabled, sick, blind, etc. So he would say, I know you're a man of righteousness, so you lead the salah. And Ibn Umar said, What? That the Messenger of Allah had two mu'adhins, two people who two people who would call the adhan. Bilal, who everybody knows Bilal, and number two is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, who was blind. Final ayah, insha'Allah. Uh, Actually, yes, our final ayah, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, maybe two ayat if everybody's patient, inshallah. Then Allah says, what? Wahuwa while he fears. So Allah could have just said, Wa and he fears. But Allah says, Wahuwa And he, in, it is him, in fact, that fears. In other words, not this disbeliever, not this one that you're honoring. He doesn't have any khashya. Wahuwa yakhsha. Abdullah ibn Maktoum, he's the one who has khashya of Allah. He's the one who has fear of Allah Ta'ala. So this is a very, very important lesson that who was he fearing? Well, it could be that he was fearing for falling down and hurting himself because he was rushing when he was blind. It could be that he was fearing, Allah doesn't mention what he was fearing. He could be fearing the disbelievers because he knows that the disbelievers in Mecca are gonna beat up and hurt and maybe even kill those who believe. So he could have feared hurting himself. He could have feared the disbelievers, but the most obvious is what? That he was fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was coming quickly with the fear of Allah ta'ala in his heart. But Allah leaves it open-ended. And he had khashya, fear. SubhanAllah, he still came anyway. And the fact that Allah Ta'ala is combining two descriptions, the internal and the external. Yes'a, externally he's rushing, and wa huwa yakhsha, internally he's fearing awe. This is a very, very 
big lesson for us, that when we approach Islamic knowledge, we should think about these two realities and these two factors. Externally, am I displaying enthusiasm through my actions when I'm traveling long distances or reading for long hours or putting in effort or spending whatever cost? Am I showing physically that I care about learning this deen? And then secondly, internally, do I feel a sense of humility and awe and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and gratitude and humbleness that Allah ta'ala chose me to get closer to him as opposed to all the other millions and billions of people out there who never have any taqwa. Alhamdulillah, Allah chose us. Alhamdulillah. And from him you are distracted? And again, the sentence would have been anhu. That's the expected sentence. But tatalaha gets shortened to talaha. This is a well-known uh, fact in Arabic that you can shorten it, one of the extra taz. And this is what Qurtubi mentions, uh, that uh, the, one of the taz was omitted. And furthermore, it would have been فَتَتَلَهَا anhu. But Allah says فَأَنْتَلَهُ so anta is emphasized so you're the one who on who specifically about him you're going to be uh, distracted from him so uh, this verb talaha implies that Abdullah ibn Maktoum is much more important than this disbeliever to the point that the disbeliever is just a distraction in comparison, a waste of time for the Prophet These Quraysh had no inclination towards self-purification. They thought themselves self-sufficient. They were a waste of time. Now the word talaha, uh, there's a question as to what its root origin is. It could be from laha yalhu lahwan fahuwa lahin, meaning uh, to play with something or to be distracted, or lahiya yalha lahan or luhiyan, uh, or lihyanan, which means to be preoccupied, yani ishtahara. A lot of scholars, they say they take the second option because it seems more respectful. Instead of saying that Prophet was distracted by a lahu, which seems dis- disrespectful, what he was like, he got distracted, like in some sort of negative way, they say, yani ishtahala, he got preoccupied. It's, it's better language, you know, he got preoccupied instead, so they go with that option. It's more respectful, and Allah knows best. And even some of them, they go with the uh, another reading, which is what? Tulaha. Tulaha, which means what? That something distracted him. So it's a passive implying what? That he wasn't guilty. So he was, he was distracted, as in it wasn't placing no blame upon him. Ibn Kathir says that after this surah was revealed, the Prophet would show extra honor to Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Can Rasulullah sallallahu that the Prophet would honor him and say to him when he would see him, Marhaban biman aatabani fihi rabbi. Welcome to the one who my Lord report, reproached me on his behalf. In other words, hey, good to see you. You're the one that Allah Ta'ala reprimanded me, and now I'm going to show you extra honor. Why? Because that's how much value you have, you have in the eyes of Allah. And he would say, min hajatin. Do you have any need? Do you need anything? So the Prophet showed extra love, and not out of sarcasm, not out of any sort of uh, you know, mean-spirited nature, but rather, now I recognize how honorable you are, how high you are in the eyes of Allah. So may Allah bless you, because you, what? You exposed, uh, you know, a mistake that I made, and now I'm better for it. And this is the, the attitude of the believer. When somebody exposes your mistakes, you don't get mad and get angry at them. Rather, you should be so grateful. Alhamdulillah, he showed me where I made a mistake, and I should be grateful. Now I can be a better person because of it. Thank you for letting me know. Now I've corrected myself, and I'm better for it. It's a very important point that the success of this ummah isn't in evaluating the size of our masjid, alhamdulillah, we have a big beautiful masjid, but that isn't necessarily the metric by which we uh, measure our success, nor how many politicians visit us, even though, though we have, alhamdulillah, politicians that visit us, but that's not our metrics of success, nor how many wealthy and influential people come to our masjid, which alhamdulillah, it might be a nice thing, but at the end of the day, that's not what is our metric of success. It's about our service to the weakest amongst us. And this is a very, very important point, that even if you have 
people coming that, mashallah, you know, they're wealthy and influential and uh, we have a big masjid and we can show off. At the end of the day, it's the service to the weakest amongst us. That's where our true uh, success lies. And this verse could be a critique of any imam. This applies to me as well. Anybody who is in, in an imam position who receives lots of questions and ignores people instead of answering them because this is exactly what was happening, that he had questions he wanted to learn and the Prophet wasn't paying attention to him. He was distracted from him. Yes. And so it's very interesting that ayah number six and ayah number ten are kind of, you could say, like contrasted with one another, like paralleled, because one of them is and the other one is so you can see how they both have the same pattern both of them have a ta that has been omitted both of them have an irregular pattern that the anta has been added and the mutaliq bil khabar has been advanced so subhanallah they are paralleled uh, verses and uh, they're, they're, subhanallah is a very beautiful you could say a symmetry in all of this anyway with that we close and inshallah ta'ala will continue next week and I hope we all have good comments and questions may Allah ta'ala put us on the right path ameen ya rabbal ameen jazakul khair wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh